Well, happy Mother's Day. We're so glad that you are with us this morning, and whether you are married or not, whether you have kids or not, whether you're a gentleman or whether you're a lady, whether you're young or whether you're old, we all come from a mom, right? So we have that all in common, and so we are celebrating our moms today. We want to make all of our moms feel very special. So I have five ladies in my house. We've got a lot of ladies on staff, and so we were talking about what kind of gift could we make uh, to make moms feel special today. And so I've got one daughter that says, well, if you want to make us feel special as ladies, then give money away. <laughs> we don't give money away. But how about a bookmark and some chocolate? <laughs> I think for most part, you know, bookmarks and chocolate, I hope you feel special with those gifts. You know, I didn't come to, a, I've had to come to appreciate bookmarks. I've got a lot of books in my office and then uh, I had a note that I had left on my desk I lost a couple months back, and I picked up a book, and oh, there's my note. It's amazing the things that I stick in my book to mark my page. And so hopefully you'll find that bookmark useful. It's got really a nice verse on it. And then chocolate, uh, who doesn't like chocolate? Chocolate's always good. I like the dark chocolate. So hopefully you feel uh, very special um, today because being a mom is hard work. In fact, I ran across this story last week about a mom who was pushing her daughter through the grocery store and it was past her nap time, and uh, the daughter was putting up a fit. So she was crying and squeaking the whole way. And uh, the whole time mom was walking through the store, um, she was offering words of encouragement with a soothing voice. Uh, Calm down, Emily. It's going to be okay. You know, every time they came up the, into one of the aisles, uh, the mom was overheard saying things like, It's okay, Emily. I've only got one more thing to get. We're almost done, Emily. You're doing a great job, Emily. When she got to the checkout stand, the cashier had overheard the, the mom's uh, voice, and she said, you know what? She said, you are such a good mom. I've been watching every time you came to the end of the aisle, and you have been so patient with your little daughter, Emily. Her mom looked up with tears in her eyes and said, lady, my name's Emily. <laughs> I've been encouraging myself. I'm in my wits end. I'm about ready to lose it. <laughs> That's funny what people see, isn't it? <laughs> Oh my gosh, being a mom <laughs> is such hard work. And I tell you, the older I've got, uh, the more I've appreciated uh, the work that my mom <laughs> invested uh, in me when I was a kid, because that was a lot of work uh, for her. Being a mom is difficult work, but you know what? This is also a difficult uh, day for some as well. You know, I've been talking to a lot of ladies uh, this week. I spend a lot of time inviting people to church. I've had a couple of different conversations just in this past week with ladies that were struggling with Mother's Day. Um, I talked to one lady that said, uh, you know, I'm not really a mom, and so I'm not sure if this is a good Sunday for me to come. I was like, well, yeah, you know, we're going to be, it's about the Bible. <laughs> and so, but, you know, I'm not a mom. I didn't feel welcomed. Um, I talked to one lady who did not get along with her mom at all, and so the holiday kind of brought up uh, for her a lot of memories of some turmoil that her and mom are still not reconciled through. Uh, my sister and I lost uh, my mom. Uh, three years ago, almost to the week, and so I called my sister last night and asked her how she was doing, and she was like, uh, she was supposed to be on the worship team. She said, you know, I took a break this morning, and she was really struggling with going to church this morning because she was really had this had this pain in her heart for having, you know, lost my mom, and so we talked and encouraged each other through that. You know, it was interesting. One woman I talked with last week um, didn't have anything to do with a mom at all, but just felt like um, God didn't love her and didn't feel like she would be welcomed in church, and so her whole idea about who God was and what church was about had really been formed uh, based on some of the experiences that she'd had uh, in her family. And she didn't feel like, uh, even on Mother's Day, even though she was a mom, she didn't feel like, you know, God loved her 
and did not feel welcome to come to church. And so I had a good opportunity to talk with her. And that's just in our community, you know. And so being a mom's a lot of work, but it's also one of those holidays that we know um, people can struggle with. And so it's important for you to know uh, that no matter where you are in life, no matter what your situation is, um, no matter what you've done, uh, no matter what your station, your status is, you need to know that God does love you. And God is real. And God does care about you, and he wants to have a relationship with you. And so this series that we've been going through for the last several weeks are about experiencing the reality of God in our life. And we've been looking at how we can experience new life. We've been looking at how we can experience purpose and about how we can experience freedom. And today we want to look at how we can experience God uh, through the gift of family. So we look at how we can experience God through the gift of family. This morning we're going to look at three lessons that we can learn about God through family, and we're going to be looking at these lessons from the perspective of one of the most famous moms in history. It's Mary, the mother of Jesus. And these lessons that we're going to be looking at this morning will challenge you. I'm praying that they will encourage you as you experience the reality of God in your own life, no matter where you are or where you find yourself, uh, no matter what your situation. God works through every situation and every family. He's got a plan and a purpose for each of us. And so this morning, we're going to look at three lessons that we can find from the first, the greatest mother in history, the mother of Jesus. We're going to look at those in just a moment, but why don't we open in prayer together this morning. Hey, Father, I just want to thank you for this day you've given us today. I do thank you for the gift of uh, mothers. I thank you for uh, my mom. I thank you for um, just the investment that she made (laughs) in my life. And um, we know that mom's Uh, work hard. And so I just pray that all of our moms this morning at Springbrook feel special. And uh, we also recognize that um, uh, that this kind of a celebration also reminds us that we live in a fallen and and broken and an imperfect world. And so God, I just pray that through our time this morning, we're able to get a glimpse of the love that you have for us, that we can experience the fullness of the reality of our relationship with you through the gift of family. And I just look forward to all that you have for us. And we lift our time up to you this morning uh, for your glory. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you brought your Bible with you, I want to encourage you to turn with me to the book of Luke, um, chapter 2. If you brought your Bible with you, that's great. If you didn't, uh, then you can just listen along um, as I read. If you do have a uh, cell phone or a pilot or electronic device, um, you can go to our uh, website. If you haven't downloaded our app, we've got our sermon notes, so you can follow along. Uh, if you download the app, it's under News and Events. You can click that link, um, or you can just uh, go to the Version uh, Bible app and search uh, Springbrook and all of our notes, the entire outlines there, and so you can use that as well. But beginning in the book of Luke chapter 2, Luke writes this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in clothes, and she placed him in a manger because there was no room for them at the inn. I want to stop there for a moment, and I want to take a close look at Mary's family situation. 
everybody had gone back to their hometown because of this census. And in verse 4 and 5, it said that Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was from the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with a child. And so I want you to think with me for a moment about Mary's family situation. What kind of family situation do we find Mary and Joseph in? First of all, we know that they're, they're not married yet. And so Mary is betrothed um, to Joseph. Now in the Old Testament, the betrothal, it's almost like we're being engaged, but we are really committed there. We haven't consummated our marriage yet, but we are together. And so they're not quite married yet, but they're betrothed. And so uh, they're not married yet, and we know that they're also young. Um, they are teenagers, believe it or not, at this time. It's not uncommon uh, for marriages uh, in this time period to happen when kids were in their, in their teenage years, 15, 16, 17 years old. It's not uncommon for kids to get married that young. It seems so strange to me, having raised four daughters, to be thinking about giving one of my kids away <laughs> at the age of 15. Uh, but that's where we find uh, Mary and Joseph. Um, it's not that uncommon, uh, even 100 years ago, my grandmother, I know, was married before she was 18. Uh, my mother waited until she was 18 and got my, uh, her parents' permission. And so, um, and, you know, 100 years ago, it was still not common to get married young. Today, uh, we get married a little bit older age, and so it seems uncommon. Uh, but at the time, um, you've got two teenagers here uh, that are engaged to one another. They're getting married. Um, you know, what else is interesting is they're teenagers, they're not married, but yet Mary is pregnant. And so that's kind of an interesting dynamic, isn't it? So we, we've got teenagers, they're not married, and, uh, and, and Mary is pregnant. And this has kind of created some turmoil in this early family. In fact, when Joseph first heard that Mary was married or she was pregnant, it said that he purposed in his heart to divorce her quietly because he didn't want to cause her shame. And so this is something that created some turmoil for Joseph. My fiance is pregnant. It's not my baby. And so he tries to distance himself from the situation. He wanted to honor her uh, and divorce her quietly. But an angel appeared to him. In the book of Matthew, it says that an angel appeared to him and said, look, Mary is with child uh, by the Holy Spirit. It's a part of my plan. You need to marry her anyway. And so David uh, heard that message from the angel. He trusted God, and he stepped out in faith in that anyway. Uh, but you know that, uh, that that created some interesting dynamics for them early on in their marriage, right? They had to work through that. And so uh, we've got uh, teenagers, they're not married, she's pregnant. Um, and then i, I got to wonder sometimes how well Mary really knew Joseph. And so not only are they young, they've got a lot working against them. I don't know how well they would have known each other. And so early on in their relationship with each other and their family, we're already working through some pretty significant issues, aren't we? And those are pretty big issues for a young couple and their family. And then to top it all off, uh, hey, good news, you're engaged to Joseph, but, oh, by the way, he is from the lineage of David, and so you guys have to travel to Bethlehem now <laughs> because we've got to register you and your family. And uh, the bad news is is that it's uh, 100 miles away, and so get ready for your trip. You know, I don't know what your honeymoon plans are, but we're headed to Bethlehem 100 miles away, and, oh, there's some other bad news. Uh, there's no planes, and uh, there's no cars and so we got to throw you up on a donkey. <laughs> I know you're pregnant. It's 100 miles away, but the donkey ride won't be that bad. We'll put some towels on top of it. You'll be fine. 
And then the worst part about the whole trip, this would actually unearth my family. This would just send my whole family into a tailspin. They don't have any reservations. <laughs> We're going to Bethlehem. It's 100 miles away, and, and good luck when we get there, right? So this is, the, this is the family situation that we see in one of the first most popular families, right? Through the, through the eyes of Mary, one of the situations we see here is, is they got their work cut out for them right off the bat. I don't know what your family situation is. This seems, you know, pretty fascinating to me. I've always been fascinated by the whole scene of Jesus and his birth. It really is uh, something to study. If you haven't read through it, I encourage you to do it. It really is a neat story. Um, but I don't know what your family situation is this morning. Um, no matter what it is, you need to know this. There are times in our relationship and in our family where we simply need to trust God has a plan. We just need to trust God. You know, Mary, I'm sure, was overwhelmed. I'm sure she was scared. I know I would be if I was Mary, just looking through the lens of this first young mother. This is overwhelming for me. I'm sure it would have been overwhelming for her. In fact, I know for a fact she was scared senseless because in the book of Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, it says this. An angel actually shows up and says, Look, Mary, don't be afraid. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Mary is overwhelmed. She is afraid, and she is in fear. But God says, don't worry, I'm in this. And I, I, I love Mary's response. It says this, Mary said, uh, the angel would go on to say, he'll be great. And, and we'll call the name of the Most High. So the angel continues to talk to Mary, telling her about the son as if this is, this is going to make you feel better. Don't be afraid. You're a child. It's of the Holy Spirit. He's going to be great. He's going to be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever. In the kingdom, there will be no end. And so you've got a baby. Uh, it's conceived of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so I've got a plan for you, so you don't need to worry. And by the way, your son is going to save the world. <laughs> And so I'm not quite sure how Mary's feeling about all this, and so she's been told not to be afraid. It's like telling somebody that's uh, in the midst of some tragedy, you need to calm down. Typically telling somebody to calm down doesn't calm them down. But in the midst of this, you see the angel telling Mary not to be afraid, and so I don't know if she found any comfort from that. Um, it would be comfort to me to know at least, hey, there's a plan for this baby and where it came from. So I'm sure some of her questions were answered. But I love this in verse 38. She says this, Mary says, okay, look, I am a servant of the Lord. So whatever he wants to accomplish, I'm going to make myself available to. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed and left her. And so in the midst of this trial, in the midst of this situation, in the midst of the, this turmoil, we see Mary making an intentional decision to put her faith in what God has. She really steps out and trusts God with her situation. And that's one of the first lessons that we can learn from this new mom, this most famous mom in history, is that how important it is to place our faith and our trust in God. That's an important lesson. And you know what else is interesting? Is that as you think about Mary and Joseph together as a married couple, um, it's because they both trust God that they're able to really trust each other and work on their relationship together. 
I mean, there are times when in my own relationship with Carolyn, we have to think, okay, well, you go pray about it and think about it. Let me pray about it and think about it. We both have to come to a place where we can trust God together, which enables us to trust him together. And so we individually have to trust God before we can really work on our trust and our relationship with each other. There are three people in my marriage. I'm married to my wife, Carolyn. There's me. And then we have invited God into our relationship. And so the Spirit of God is at work in our relationship. And it's there that we are able to put our trust not just in each other, but in what God's plans are for us, like Mary did uh, when she answers the angel in verse 38. I am a servant of the Lord, and may it be as you said. I'm going to put my trust in you. And in our culture today, we're very self-sufficient. Um, we work very hard. Um, we have problems. We try to tackle it. I'm a guy, so I've always got a solution for everything. And so we work really hard at trying to solve our own problems. And we need to step back like Mary sometimes and just say, hey, look, in spite of this circumstance, in spite of what's going on in my own family or in my own life, I have to step back and see first my identity through who I am in Christ. And that's going to enable me to put my faith and my trust in God and experience the fullness of what he has for me in this life today. And so I can't think of a more important lesson that we can learn from this young mom at this early stage in her life that what it means to put our trust in God. And if you've got children, I can tell you there's no more important lesson than you can share with your kids the importance of what it means to put your faith and your trust in God. Your kids are going to work hard. They're going to go to school. They're going to try to get jobs. But those things are all secondary because we need to first place our faith and our trust in God because there's going to be a time in our life when things are not going the way that we think we sh- they should be going. And it's there that God's able to work his best out. I love it. And the Bible says that God lifted us out of the miry pit. He places our feet on firm ground. And I can remember in my own life, the point that I came to understand my need for a relationship with Christ was in the middle of a crisis. You're either going to be going into a crisis, you're in a crisis, you're coming out of a crisis. And so we all face difficulties in our life. And and how we handle those is based on where we have placed our faith and where we have placed our trust. I can't think of a better lesson to learn from this earlier mom than than the idea that we need to place our trust in God. So that's the first lesson we learned from Mary is that we need to place our trust in God. The second lesson that we learn from Mary is that we need to live with humility. We need to live with humility. And we see that in verses uh, uh, 6 and 7. While they were there, um, the time came for her to give birth. Um, she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him up in swallowing clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them uh, at the end. And so I want to think for a little bit about what it means to uh, to, uh, to give birth to a child, wrap him in swallowing clothes, and lay him in a manger. What did that process look like for this new young family? You know, I had to look up uh, swaddling clothes. Um, I have, my wife and I have had, uh, Carolyn, we've had four girls, and so we've raised kids, and so I've been around babies. Uh, my daughter, uh, Natalie, and her husband Stark just had a baby, Ezra, so I've got a grandson. But it was really funny because when I went to the uh, the hospital to visit them. Um, they had him all wrapped up in these nice little clothes, and uh, we had bought him some nice little clothes, and we had some people really give us some really nice clothes for the baby, and so when we have babies today, when you look at the baby, they usually have a nice little garment on, it snaps up, it looks really cute, 
Um, but what are swallowing clothes? Swallowing clothes are just strips of cloth that you wrap a baby up in. And so uh, it kind of keeps the baby tight, keeps them from floundering around. And so swallowing clothes are nothing more than just, you know, they're, they're strips of rag um, that you wrap this baby up. And so Jesus is wrapped up in these swallowing clothes. That was the custom at the time. It's not a you know, sign of poverty or, you know, any of their deep needs. I mean, every baby that was born back then got wrapped up in, in swaddling clothes. But, you know, I, I got to wonder about the condition of the uh, swaddling clothes. You know, we had, uh, when I walked into the hospital and Natalie was there with the baby, it was funny. Um, everybody's got, you know, doctors, they got gloves on, they got gowns, and people walk around with masks. You know, it's a clean room environment. <laughs> I mean, this is a sterile environment. And, uh, you know, when a, when a baby's born today, everything's sterile. They rip the package open, and, you know, it's been gamma sterilized. I mean, there's no germs on that baby. I mean, we live in these sterile environments. And, uh, but I imagine the, the swaddling clothes that Jesus were laying in were something that were just kind of laying around. And so, uh, you know, they're working through this, you know, situation. And then they, to top it all off, they place uh, Jesus uh, in the manger. And, um, you know, a manger is nothing more than a feeding trough. And so you got this little baby wrapped up in some old strips of clothes, and he's laying in a manger because there was no room for him at the inn. Now, the inn that there's no room for him in, this is not the Holiday Inn, and so it's not, it's not a hotel. You know, we're talking about a little room and a house and a building, and so this is kind of a little snapshot of you know, what it would have looked like. And so an inn is just a building. Uh, it's got rooms in it. And so there was no rooms for him at the end. And so this is in downtown, so you got people out there. There's the inn. Uh, there's no room for him uh, there. But it's quite customary to have a barn outside of the inn. And so when travelers come up, you know, they check out the room. They take their animals around to the side, and they give them to the, the animal keeper. And, and so there you've got the crowd. You've got the inn. And then down here in the lower right, that's the barn. And uh, you see all the little animals there. Uh, back in the back there is a little feeding trough called the manger. And then out front there, you know, you got the hay and, you know, that's all the poop and that's where all the animals are hanging out. And so you got the barn down there in the corner. And so Mary and Joseph show up and there's no room for them in that inn, in, in the inn. And so the innkeeper says, well, I, I got no room for you here, but I got a deal for you. I got a barn out here and uh, there's some room you can have that. And so Mary and Joseph, not having other, any place to go, take them up on that offer. And so Mary and Joseph are down there at the barn uh, Jesus is laying in the manger, and they're, and they're in a nice little trough. Make a nice family picture, wouldn't it? Hey, this is our baby, and uh, this is us at the uh, barn. Back there is this little trough, and uh, the swallowing clothes there, there, you know, they, they don't stink too bad. But, you know, picture the scene there. I mean, you know, there's, there's a little baby in the trough. There's the cow back there. There's poop all over the floor. And, you know, this is what Jesus is kind of born into. And you don't see these kind of pictures on Facebook, do you? You know, we look at Facebook, and everybody's pictures are great. You know, according to Facebook, everybody's living high on the hog. Everything's good. All the pictures on Facebook are good. You know, it's like, wait a second. Let me smile. Hang on a second. Let me get cleaned up here. <laughs> you know, Mary and Joseph are, they're in a barn. And the cattle are in the back, and the poop's on the ground, and they got this feeding trough that's got some hay in it, and, and Jesus is laid in the manger. <laughs> There's no room at the, at the inn. He's in the manger. He's in a place they're smelling poop. You know, if this was me, uh, you would not see that picture. What you would have seen is me banging on the door of the innkeeper. Dude, you have got to find me a room. <laughs> it stinks out there. <laughs> you know, I think I would be working really hard to get us a room. And uh, uh, 
that's just those are just that's just stinky conditions. I, and I, I think what's interesting about this is Mary and Joseph are they're just in it. This is just what they've done, and and they they're just kind of accepted that there's their situation. And uh, it's interesting because right after Jesus is born, uh, it says that angels appeared to the shepherds uh, out in the field, and so they tell him, "Hey, a savior's been born unto you. A savior's been born." So the shepherds hear this great news about Jesus, and so the shepherds go running into town um, to see the baby Jesus. Uh, and they go to tell him, hey, we were out in the field and, you know, the angels just told us about the Savior uh, was going to be born as the Messiah. And, you know, here he is. You know, this is, this is great. And in verse 16, uh, as you read down through some of the uh, chapter 2, in verse 16, it says, The shepherds, they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby living in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the sayings that had been told to them concerning this child. And so they're telling Mary and Joseph about what the angels had told them out in the field. And everyone who hears it wonders what the shepherds are telling them about. So they're telling them this great story. And then it goes on in that verse. And then as Mary's listening to them talking, look at what Mary's doing. Mary is treasuring all these things up. And she's pondering them in her heart. Let's stop there for a second. She's taking it all in. She's treasuring what's what's happening, and she's pondering them in her heart. She's thinking about everything that's been saying. You know, she's just soaking it all up. You know, if it would be me, if it was me, I'm serious. If some shepherds showed up, you know what my first question would be? Can you think of someplace else for me to stay? Hey, do you guys have any room? I mean, I would be bargaining. You know, can you get us a room? You know, we've got the baby Jesus here. Don't you know who this is? This is the Messiah. Man, come on, get us out of here. We need some help. No, but that's not what Mary's doing. Mary is sitting there in, with, with humility is the only word that I can think about. And she is treasuring up everything that's happening and she is pondering them in her heart. In the middle of Mary's family situation, in the filth, in the stink, after riding a donkey for 100 miles and after giving birth, <laughs> here she lays treasuring all these things up and pondering them in their heart. You know, humility is a modest view of one's own importance. Mary is pondering the circumstances that she's in. She's pondering and thinking about and reflecting about what God's doing. She's not claiming any rights. She's not saying, hey, get me out of here. She's not saying, hey, I've got the Messiah here. Don't you know who this is? She is pondering and reflecting on all that God is doing in her life. That is a great lesson, Mary is living with humility. And I'd like to think that that is one of the qualities that she passed on to Jesus. You know, that's one of, that's a great quality to pass on to your kids. It's a great quality to model the people around you is to be a person of humility. Isn't that great? I mean, I'd like to think she modeled that for Jesus, but I think Jesus uh, probably coined that first. I think Jesus uh, was already thinking about uh, modeling humility in his life. In fact, it says that while he was God, uh, he humbled himself and he did what? He took on human form. Jesus modeled humility for us. And so it's, it's a characteristic, it's a trait that we should all aspire to model in our life. It's certainly a characteristic that we see being modeled in the life of this new young mom. She fully trusts God. She's modeling humility in her life. May ponders things up. And as a result of her pondering, as a result of her trusting God and focusing on God, 
You know what the result of that was is that God was glorified. God was glorified, and, and, and look at this, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and all they had seen as it had been told to them. You know, if they had left the scene with me, they would have been going, yeah, we saw the baby Jesus, but man, that Pastor Rich guy, he was, he was kind of out of control looking for a room. <laughs> Mary, treasuring and pondering things up, was an influence on people. And as a result of that, God is glorified. They glorified God, praise, praising Him for everything that they had seen and they had heard. When we live out a life of humility and we're focused on who God is, God gets all the glory in that. People are encouraged. God is glorified. God's plans are accomplished. Others see it, they hear it, and believe. And so trusting God is an important lesson that we can learn from this early young mom. And then also the importance of living a life of humility. Mary was a great mom who trusted God and lived with the humility. Two virtues that we should all strive for. The two first lessons that we can learn from this famous young mom. The third lesson that we can learn from Mary from that passage is this. In her family situation, you know, with everything going on in her life, um, we need to be able to set priorities. So we need to be able to set priorities. We need to not be blown around by our circumstances, but really through our trusting God, through our living in humility uh, in our lives, we need to really focus on setting good priorities. You know, the, um, there's a lot of things that compete for our time, for our talents, for our treasures. Um, there's a lot of things that we have to go through on you know, a daily basis with family situations or work situations, those kind of things. Um, and if our priorities are not set up correctly, then we're setting ourselves up for failure. I think one of the things that we see from verse uh, 7, it was in that verse, um, is Mary gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes. She laid him in a manger. It was because there was no place for them at the end. You know, I can't think of a worse time for Caesar Augustus uh, to be asking everybody um, to go register. I mean, this could, have, this could not have been a worse time for us to have to travel to Bethlehem uh, to take up, you know, uh, you know the census and, and to register, you know, our family. You know, the census was uh, something that God used to uh, enable prophecy to be fulfilled um, it moved this young couple uh, into Bethlehem, uh, just as the word foretold. It brought God's perfect plan together. Um, but you know what else it did? It brought everybody else together, too. The place was just absolutely packed. And it was all a part of God's plan. But if it had been me, I think I would have picked a different time for the census. I mean, this is not a good time for us. I mean, I'm sitting here, I'm trying to plan a wedding. Uh, we're trying to figure out how to feed everybody. Uh, we're trying to work with my pregnant wife, and you want me to travel all the way to Bethlehem? This is not a good time for me. Can we, can we do this some other time? I mean, the timing of this could not have been worse. And when they get there, the place is actually packed. It is absolutely crowded. Schedules were inconvenienced. Everybody's schedule was inconvenienced. Can you imagine if I had said to you, think about your week next week, like, like, like next Tuesday, I'm going to call everybody from home and say, hey, we're going to take a census in Springbrook. So stop what you're doing. Let's all meet at Springbrook tomorrow so we can, you know, take a census of everybody and find out who's here. How many of you would show up? Probably nobody. Nobody would show up. You know why? Because we're busy. There's other things going on. And, and I can't think of a worse time to try to take this 
census. And so the place is crowded. There's things going on in their life. And, you know, to top it all off, when they get there, you know what they're doing? They're, they're collecting taxes as well. I mean, this is the time they're all, they're taking a census and they're paying their taxes. And, and we all know what tax collectors are like, right? I mean, they're, they're like the lowest of the low. And so I'm walking up to pay my taxes. And so first of all, I'm newly married. I've got this new baby. And okay, well, well here's my dollar. What do you mean you want $2? Well, I'm trying to line my pockets. You know, tax collectors were the worst to work with. And so I can imagine in the midst of all this turmoil, not only is people's schedules busy and been inconvenienced, but guess what they're arguing about? Money. I mean, they're talking about money. I mean, I just, I can't imagine everything that's going on in the midst of all this. And you've got all these families that are packed into this inn. And so Mary and Joseph show up. And there's just, there's so much going on that no one could make room for them in the inn. They're just too distracted. There's too much going on, and there's no room for Jesus in the end. You know, that is a a kind of environment where they were just, they're not welcomed. That was, uh, they have been unwelcomed in a world, in a culture, in a community that is busy with the business of the empire. Nobody's trying to make room for baby Jesus. You know, there's too much going on. Everybody Everybody there is thinking about themselves. And they're just too busy to stop and make room for Mary and Joseph and their baby. I can't help but wonder how much different is that for us today? How busy are we with the business of the empire? When you think about where you spend your time, have you ever stopped to look at your calendar? It's a humbling experience. If you've never stopped to look at your calendar, I'd encourage you to try to do that next week. What are some of the things that occupy our time? As we look at our calendar and when we spend our time, how much room do we make for God in our own lives? There are so many things that compete for our time that if we are not intentional about setting priorities our calendars are going to be eaten up and we are not going to find time for God any more than the person was that was at the end that told them there was no space. We have got to set priorities. There's, a, uh, there's two sisters called Mary and Martha. It's not the same Mary. Um, this is Mary that is the sister of Lazarus. I remember when I first became a Christian, I started reading the Bible and uh, I had to get a concordance, look towards the back. There's Marys all throughout Scripture. And so we got Mary, the mother of Jesus, who we're celebrating, who we're learning these lessons through. But there's also another Mary, who is the sister of Lazarus. She's got another sister named Martha. Uh, Jesus is walking throughout the different villages, and he's going to show up at Mary and Martha's house. And uh, when he gets there, uh, Martha is busy preparing everything, preparing dinner, trying to get the house ready. You know, we have to have this house clean before Jesus shows up, and she's working really hard. Uh, So Jesus shows up, and Mary's hanging out with Jesus, and Martha's working uh, really hard to make sure everything's in order. And it says this in chapter 10, uh, Martha was distracted by everything that she had to do. And uh, she came up to Jesus, and she said, Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all this work alone? Tell her to get up here and help me. To which Jesus replies, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, he doesn't say that what Martha is doing is bad, because making dinner is important. 
eating dinner is important. And so keeping the house in order is important. It's not that those things are not important. But given the time that we can choose to be with Jesus, those things are secondary. When you think about everything that you're doing with your whether you're at school, your studies, your homework, your sports, your job, mowing the grass, when you think about everything that we have to do, when it comes to choosing between everything that we have to do, not that those things are not important, and then spending time with God, Jesus says, hey, it's more important that you spend time with me. Spending time with God is to be our priority. You know, so as we look at the life and the family of Mary and Joseph, um, you know, as we celebrate Mother's Day together, um, it's important that we celebrate moms. We know it's a lot of work. We know that bless, uh, we know we pray blessings on our mothers. We know that people are struggling with Mother's Day. And so as we come through this weekend together, you know, I think it's really important for us to focus on, well, what are some lessons that we can learn uh, from that first mother, Mary? And I think Mary gives us some really important lessons that we can take with us this morning. So if it's a mother, if you're a mother today, I pray that you're blessed. If you're not a mom today, I pray that you're blessed as well because ultimately we really need to make sure that our focus is on, on God and who we are in Christ. We see three lessons from Mary this morning that I'm praying we can take with us, that we can trust God, that we can live with humility, and that we can set our priorities. Three great lessons from one of the most famous mothers in history. And she was truly blessed. You know, the Bible talks about the fact that she would be called blessed. It was a blessing for her to be able to be the mother of Jesus. That's a great blessing, isn't it? You know, I can't think of a greater honor than being given birth to the Messiah. But there's also a passage in Luke I wanted to share with you. You know, Jesus is out speaking to the crowds. People were amazed at his teaching. It says, beginning in verse 27, as he was going through the crowds, one of the women uh, was in the crowd, raised her voice up and said to Jesus, Blessed is the womb that bore you and, and, and the breast at which you nursed. In other words, may your mom be blessed. Jesus said, okay, but <laughs> rather than... Rather, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Not that moms won't be blessed, but the real blessing comes from those who hear the word of God and keep it. And so I'm praying that for our moms this morning, that they would feel blessed. But even if you're not a mom this morning, you should feel blessed as well. Blessing comes from those who hear the word of God and keep it. And if you're a mom and you have kids, your blessing is going to come from training your children up to know and to have God's word written in their heart. The real blessing comes as your children grow and they're able to take these lessons that you've learned and you've taught to them. There's no greater responsibility of a parent than to teach their kids to trust God, to live humbly, and to set their priorities straight. So it's my prayer this morning that if you are a mom that you feel blessed. But it's also my prayer that no matter what your age, no matter what your family status, no matter what your situation is, that you will be blessed on this day because of who you are in Christ. Now, we are so glad that we had an opportunity to, uh, to celebrate Mother's Day with you, and uh, we just want to pray that God will continue to go before you as you celebrate this day. I know people have, hopefully, lunch plans for your moms. Uh, if you don't have a mom, hopefully you're going to get outside and do something fun today, but I think the most important lesson that we can take from today is the importance of looking at the first mom and the lessons that we can learn um, from, from her. So let's pray together that God would write those on our hearts as we continue to seek what he would have for us today, uh, next week, uh, until we live out the days that he has numbered for us. Father, I just want to thank you 
uh, for this Mother's Day. I just pray that the moms that are gathered here together today, that they feel special. Uh, God, I just know that uh, being a mom is a hard work. <laughs> we need to uh, encourage our moms today. And so I pray that you would encourage them. And I also know that this can be a difficult day uh, for some. Some maybe haven't really thought about what it means to be a mom. They're going through different circumstances. And God, uh, I just pray blessings on them uh, as well as we each focus on what it means to trust you, to live with humility, and to, and to get our priorities straight. And uh, God, I just thank you for this uh, time that we could share together today. We look forward to all that you have for us and to commit this day to you uh, for your glory. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.